What a fearfully wonderful thought that one day we will stand before God. And on one hand, it's an exciting thought, knowing that we're past this world and we're past this life. Boy, it's a frightening thought because what he says is going to be determined by what we do here. What we hear, whether we hear well done or I don't know what the alternatives are. I'd rather hear well done and not think about what the alternatives are. Uh, But right now is the only chance we get to help determine and decide what he's going to say. Boy, what a, what a thought tonight. Let's take our Bibles out and jump right into it if we could. And let's not turn to the book of Romans, all right? Let's turn to the book of Jude, the second to the last book in your Bible, the book of Jude, Romans chapter 5. We'll give it a little bit of a break. We've been in it now, three services, and never know exactly when the Lord's going to lead you to preach what message that he gives you. And it just so happened to be three in a row there out of Romans 5 and I'm sure we could spend years more trying to see what he has for us there, but he's given us something very simple tonight. I want to look and encourage you with Jude, obviously chapter number one. If you find chapter two, talk to me after the service, okay? Let's stand together. We're going to read verse one, two, and three, and then we'll check in some other verses later as we move down. Hope you had a good afternoon, got a little bit of a nap, and uh, if not, just go ahead and take you one while we're preaching, amen? I don't have to tell you to do that. Jude chapter 1 verse 1, the Bible says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Now watch verse 3 closely. The Bible says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Let's stop there and ask God's help tonight as we preach. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you that we can open it again for the second time today, gather around it and feed from it. And I pray that we'd all do just that. Uh, Lord, I pray that we'd open our hearts even now. Lord, to set aside our distractions, our worries, our cares. Help us focus in on the message of that song a moment ago, that, Father, we want to hear well done. We want to be pleasing to you and all that we do, even as we sit and we listen, Lord, to your word preached. I pray that we'd be obedient to that during the invitation time. Be with those that aren't with us tonight for whatever reason, sickness or burdens of the heart. I pray that you give grace for every need. Be with our people that are watching on live stream. Speak to them as well. Bless their homes and families. And I pray your will be done tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This morning, as I mentioned a moment ago, we went back and looked at uh, Romans chapter 5, and we looked at several of the great gifts that our faith brings along with it. Uh, Faith, uh, obviously, is one of the greatest investments, I think, you could make in this life, if not the greatest investment in this life. Uh, I don't have a whole lot of investments that I have made in my life, but I do understand the principle that you put something in in the hopes that you get something greater out, correct? Is that how that works for those of you that have investments? Uh, I think faith's the same way. Think about it. We invest our faith in what God has said and what Christ has done, but think about what you get out of it. We invest our faith, and we saw this morning in Romans 5, uh, that out of that we have grace and we have peace. And this morning, we specifically looked at hope. What an investment, amen? We put in our faith, and we get grace, and we get peace, and we get hope, and so on and so on. So many things that God has blessed us with just by our faith. No doubt, the greatest investment that you can make in this life, obviously, for salvation. And after that, we see all of those gifts of grace that come from having faith in what thus saith the 
the Lord. I think about all throughout Scripture, how many people invested their faith and saw that investment pay off. Let's think about Noah. Noah put his faith in what God said, and the Bible says he did so to the saving of his house. Think about that this evening. What is your home worth and your family worth? And yet Noah invested his faith in what thus saith the Lord when God said it was going to rain and you need to build that ark. Noah had faith, and the Bible says he built that ark to the saving of his house. What an investment. Having faith in what God said saved his home. By the way, I believe that sets a pattern for us as well that our faith is going to have a direct effect on our homes, our families, and our children. Think about the woman who had the issue of blood all of those years. The Bible says she had spent all that she had, and she was nothing better, and she had suffered many things with many doctors. And yet she comes and invests her faith in what Christ could do for her, and what did she find? She found healing. What an investment. She invested her faith, and she found healing. We could go on and on. The centurion servant, think about his faith and what that investment proved for him. I'm sure tonight we could go around the room and ask you of instances in your life, your walk with God, when you have taken God at his word and invested your faith in what God said, and you could share with me how God is blessed. I've talked with some of you who've been here quite a bit longer than I have about our church here and about how our church has grown and the buildings that God's provided for us and the building programs that we had in order to get these buildings here and and how there were faith promise offerings taken up uh, to build the very sanctuary we're sitting in tonight and how people had faith in what God said and God told them to give and they gave and how God blessed and how God multiplied. And now we have this wonderful paid for property here that we get to call home here at Central as our church. You see, that's what faith does. You invest your faith, and God always delivers more out of our faith. But here's the question I want to ask you tonight, something very simple. It's a question I don't know that I've ever asked myself before. Faith does so much for us, but have you ever thought about what you could do for your faith? You ever thought about that? What has faith done for you? As I said, we could spend days, weeks, months, probably years going around the room, and you telling me all that faith has done for you. But have you ever thought about what you could do for your faith? You're thinking, well, what can you do? Well, I'm glad that you asked because the Bible shows us in verse number three, Jude's about to show us our part right here on the front lines of our faith. And that's what I'm preach on for a few minutes tonight, the front lines of our faith. Faith's not just a one-way street. You know, we like to think about what we can get from faith. If I have faith and by faith, I get to do this, I get to have this, I get to be a part of this. But have you ever thought about what you could do for your faith? And if you'll focus your attention back to verse number three, the Bible says that you should earnestly contend, and watch those next three words, for the faith. The Bible's showing us there is something we can do for our faith. Now, for all that faith's done for you, you think about that tonight. All that faith has paid dividends to you and your home and your family. I remember when my daughter got saved. She was the last one in our little family to get saved and trust Christ as her Savior. And I remember how excited we were. I told someone, I've got all my family in the boat. I'm just ready for the rain to come. Amen. Got them in, looking forward. Hey, I'm thankful for the dividends faith has paid my family. Save my soul, my wife's soul, my daughter's soul. And then by faith, we've seen God do some wonderful things. I'm thankful for all that faith's done for me. But have you ever thought about what you could do for your faith? Verse 3, the Bible says that we should earnestly contend for the faith. And tonight, we're going to look at that subject of the front lines of our faith. And we're going to show you what you can do for your faith in light of all that faith has done for us. Now, look at that word contend, if you will. 
that you should earnestly contend for the faith. That's something we can do for our faith. That word contend means to confront, to guard, or defend. To confront, to guard, or defend. Now, let me ask you tonight, has faith been valuable to you? Has, pay, has faith paid dividends to you? Has faith done things for you and shown things to you and empowered you to do things in faith that you could not do of yourself? Faith's done a lot for us tonight. But the Bible says that faith needs to be contended for. That means it needs to be defended, confronted for, and guarded about. That is our number one we're going to look at tonight. I want you to notice on the front lines of our faith, we have our responsibility to the faith. We have our responsibility to faith. Now, as valuable as faith is, it would seem like tonight that we would be in a rush to contend for it, wouldn't it be? I mean, as valuable as faith is to us and our homes and our children, for those of you whose children have not reached the age of accountability just yet, it's going to be by faith that they get saved. For by grace are you saved, what? Through faith. They need the faith, and they need the faith to be pure, but in order for the faith to be pure, it must be contended for. Somebody's got to step up and defend and contend and to guard the faith which we've received. Watch what he says. The Bible says in verse 3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you. He's challenging them in this area of our faith that our faith must be defended or contended for. And the Bible says earnestly. Faith is a lot like our freedom. I'm thankful for it, aren't you? I'm thankful. I get to come to church tonight. I wasn't worried about guards standing outside the doors telling me I couldn't come to church. I wasn't worried about hiding my Bible, making sure nobody saw me having a You know, there's people around the world that have to do that. There's people that aren't allowed to have a copy of the Word of God. They scrap and they claw over just a page of the Word of God. Here we have a Bible. Here we have a church. We got to get up here and sing tonight. You didn't even have to sing good, and you got to sing. Amen? Make it a joyful noise to the Lord. What a blessing our freedom has granted to us. But, you know, freedom, once it's secured, it still has to be defended. That's the way our faith is. I'm thankful for what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you and I and secured that faith for us. But we've got to make sure as the people of God that this faith that has been entrusted to us, that we contend for it. What's, what's so sad today is the world we're living in, all the things that we do contend for. Have you ever thought about things we argue about? The word is silly, all right? We argue about some of the most silly things under the sun. And I'm not just talking about in America. I'm talking about in the church. Everything about things that get on our nerves. I'm going to raise my hand. There's things that get on my nerves. And sometimes there's things that get on my nerves. I should just get over Why? Because there's more important things to contend for than things of my opinion and my desire. And those things are the things of faith. Can I tell you, faith is taking hits all over our country. Faith is being attacked all over our country. And if we're not careful and we don't rise up to contend for the faith, we're going to find that while men slept, the enemy came in. And attacked and destroyed and carried away the faith that was entrusted to us. Matthew chapter 13, we read about that. The Bible says in verse 25 that those men had sowed good seed. Oh my goodness, would, would you consider tonight our faith good seed? Oh, I would. Man, we have a good faith. We have a true faith. We have a right faith. Oh, we've been giving, given something good. But the Bible says that while men slept, the enemy came and sowed tares among their wheat. 
You see, just because they had sown it and the good thing had been done did not mean the good thing did not need to be defended. And lo, the enemy sneaks in the back door and sows tares among the wheat. You know what I think God wants us to understand tonight? We have a responsibility to our faith. To do what? Well, verse 3 says to contend for it. Responsibility, I'll tell you, is something that we look at and we think maybe it's just a suggestion that God says, hey, I want you to do your best. No, the Bible says we're to earnestly contend for it. If it was a suggestion, there would be no accountability to it. But it's a responsibility. God's going to hold us accountable for whether or not we contended for our faith. And the sad thing is we speak up for so many other things that aren't going to matter in eternity. Think about it. I complain with the best of them. Just ask my wife. You want to hear me complain about something? Ask me, hey, what gets on your nerves? I'll say, sit down. How much time you got? There's things that get on my nerves and things I want to argue about. And while we are arguing about things that don't matter, slowly but surely the devil sneaks in the back door and undermines our faith and dilutes and perverts our faith. I want you to think about all the things we have to contend with today. Things that maybe, maybe uh, on a scale we've never had to contend with before. Les and I were talking the other day, we were driving out through the country and uh, looking at these little small uh, farmhouses out there, and there's something alluring about that, I'll be honest with you. Just a small wood house out there in the middle of the woods, you know, get you a few cows and some chickens and, you know, just living the farm life out there. And Les and I were talking about how in the good old days, amen, the old days are always good, in the good old days of how sin was not as accessible, you're out there on a the farm. How much trouble could you get into? Now, I know some of you are going to tell me after the church, okay? Uh, but I'm sure it wasn't like you can get into now. Uh, I mean, I can access things right out of my pocket on my cell phone that those kids on the farm had to go far, far and reach far to find. You see, I have to contend with a lot. You have to contend with a lot. We have television. We have music. We have the culture that we're living in. And every one of those are an avenue to assault our faith. Could we agree with that tonight? I mean, the culture we live in, the phones that we have, the television, the music. I mean, you go in Walmart and the culture attacks our Christian standards. It's everywhere. Uh, I mean, we were out in California, not surprised. I mean, California is a little more leftward-leaning than we are. But it's amazing how many things are just out and about and out there in the open. And I can't imagine how they must just have to put blinders on their kids going down the road. They have to contend with so much. But I'll assure you this, it must be contended with. We can't roll over. We can't just decide we're not going to win this battle. And we're just going to leave our kids to the whims of the world and the culture of the world. Because I assure you, they'll be glad to take them. I had a text from one of our members last night. It was telling me about a cartoon, kids' cartoon, and about how the homosexual agenda being pushed through a cartoon and how they cancel their subscription and all of these things. You know what that is? That's contending. Hey, you better stand up and plug that hole. Why? They're coming for your kids. Don't think for a second this is by accident. Don't think for a second this has anything to do with tolerance or inclusion. This is everything about tearing down the institutions that were founded by Almighty God. Notice what's happening. They're going after the home, our innocent children. You look at all the church, it's being perverted. Why? Nobody's contending for it. By the way, young people, you got a mom and dad that contend for you, you ought to take them out for a hot dog tonight or a hamburger or a Ward's burger because they love you enough to contend for you. Hey, sometimes contending for you means contending with you. (laughs) I'm thankful. My dad contended with me a few times. I didn't contend very long. 
Not very long at all. He scared me. I'm so thankful he guarded the gate. No, you can't go. No, you can't watch. No, you can't listen. You say, well, he was just intolerant. Yeah, he was intolerant of things that wanted to destroy me. He contended with them. We have a responsibility tonight to contend, what does it say, for the faith. Galatians chapter 6, Paul did just that. He says, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that calls you into the grace of Christ. Now watch this, unto another gospel. So he says, hey, he comes and he says, I marvel that you're so soon removed. How intolerant of him. How mean of Paul. To st- Who are you, Paul, to step up and tell me where you think that I have erred? He said, I marvel that you're so soon removed. And then he had the audacity to say, you've been moved into another gospel, which is not another. You know what he did? When he saw error, he spoke up. He saw an error. He says, I marvel. I've been watching you, and you've been moved unto another gospel. He says, which is not. Hey, if we truly love our church, and we truly love our families, and our children, and our country, we're going to speak up about things which are not. And when we see things begin to move, and we see things begin to slide, we've got to speak up. Why? We have a responsibility to defend and contend for our faith. Paul did that as well in Acts chapter 17. The Bible says why he tarried at Athens. He looked around. He looked around and he saw the city. The Bible says wholly given to idolatry. You know what he did? Man, he broke out his phone. He said, I'm just going to post about this. (laughs) These wicked heathen uh, Athenians, I'm sorry, jokers, you're not going to believe what they're doing. They're worshiping this false God and this false God and this false God. No, the Bible says when he saw the city wholly given idolatry, the Bible says he went and disputed with them. Now, he's not just stirring up a fight, okay? He wasn't just going to fight with them. He was trying to go and reach them because he has a responsibility to the faith. He said, that's not, a, that's not the right God. He walks right up into Mars Hill. I mean, man, you talk about audacity. I don't know if I have that kind of courage. But he walked up in there and disputed with them. Why? He had a responsibility to the faith, to the true faith. Here's what I'm afraid of, and I'll give you the second thing. I'm afraid tonight our culture has guilted us into silence. Our culture has guilted us into silence. We're afraid to speak up. Now look, folks, the Bible tells us how we ought to speak, okay? We're not supposed to go in there and just breathe fire. The Bible says walk in wisdom toward them that are without that our speech should be seasoned with salt, grace. That's how we should speak, but we should speak all the same. Now, folks, understand this tonight. The culture has blackmailed us into not saying anything because we fear being canceled. We don't want to be the outsider parents, the weirdo parents, which I'll be honest with you, I think the world's weird, and if they don't consider me part of their club, hey, I consider that a badge of honor. You're not one of us. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. I don't mind being considered one of the weirdos. Why? Because it seems like all the weirdos are loosened. It seems like all the weirdos are being adopted by the world's culture. Hey, when it comes time and we see things starting to get out of line, we've got to speak up. Why? Because the Bible says we are to contend for the faith. I don't know about you, but I want to be like Joshua and Caleb. When everybody else doubts what God said, when everybody else starts diluting down what God says, I want to do what Joshua and Caleb did. They said, you know what? If God said it, we ought to do it. God says that's our promised land. God says we can have it. Then we're going to go have it. You say, well, it's 2022. I didn't see a time clock put on the word of God. 
I don't think the truths of God's word and faith in God's word expires. Therefore, the, we, we, the people of God, have got to take up the responsibility of contending for our faith. Number one, we have a responsibility to do that. Look back at verse three. The Bible says, it was needful for me to write unto you. And boy, I tell you, I believe it's needful today. Every once in a while, I need to be kicked in the rear end too. I went to a conference. Amen, Brother Travis. I believe it wholeheartedly. I went to a conference this week, got preached to three times every day. I still can't walk on water. You'd think if you preached to that much, you could walk on water, but not at all. You know, I told Brother Michael today, I said, sometimes you come back from a conference and, man, you get, you get energized and excited, pumped up, ready to go. And I said, sometimes you come back and you're pumped up and ready to go, but out of conviction. You're motivated by conviction. That we've got to make sure we guard these gates. We've got to make sure we contend for our faith. And we'll show you why here in just a few moments. Two times in Scripture you'll find these words, for the faith. Only two times. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, the Bible says, striving together for the faith of the gospel, for the faith. Do you know, we're really good at telling people what we're against, but the most important thing ought to be what we're for. There's a lot of things I'm against. If you want to know, I can tell you that too. I'll break out the scroll. It's like that long. But the most important thing we ought to be about is what we're for, for the faith. What do we know what we're for? Hey, I'm for the faith. And by the way, when you decide you're for the faith, it's amazing. It already decides for you things that you're against when you decide what you're for. Some of you might get that just a little bit later. The Bible says that the church is the pillar and the ground of truth. Oh, the devil can't stand the truth. The truth is what leads sinners to Christ. The truth is what leads saved people to a sanctified life. They can't hear the truth. So what does Satan do? He attacks the truth. He has to. And unfortunately, in our churches today, in order to keep numbers, we are allowing the Satan to attack the truth. Why? Because we want to keep all the numbers when the sad thing is, what is it good if you have a lot of numbers if you're not telling them the truth? That's why we have to defend it, even when it's not popular. Number one, we have a responsibility to our faith. But then, the Bible says in verse 4, he shows us why. This is why we must contend. For there are certain men crept in unawares who before of old ordained to this condemnation ungodly men, now watch this, turning the grace of God, our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the reason we have to take up the responsibility to our faith because the Bible says evil men, they have crept in and they're turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. Now this is important. The reason we take responsibility for our faith, number two, I want you to notice is the capability of sin. We have a responsibility to our faith, but notice, if you will, verse 4 describes the capability of sin. Now, here's what Jude is saying. He did not say, okay, look, you need to do this because this might happen. Notice he says, for there are certain men in unawares. They've already crept in. You see, that's how sin works. Sin does not launch an all-out attack. The devil's a little bit smarter than that. He's been doing this for a while. He's learned that what does he do? Well, verse 4 says he has to creep in. Can I tell you, if we neglect our responsibility at Central Baptist Church, and if you do at your home, and I do in my life, we're going to see the full capability of sin. And you don't want to see the outcome. There's not a day that goes by. I do not see the capability of sin. When the gate was not guarded, sin was not contended against, and sin crept in, and oh, I'll tell you, it's devastating. 
It's devastating. Galatians chapter 1, when he was talking about another gospel, he says this in verse 7. There be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Pervert the gospel of Christ. Now, it's amazing that even the gospel is not immune to perversion. By the way, do you know that's Satan's M.O.? That's how he works. Satan takes something that was made pure by God and good and wonderful by God, and he loves to pervert it. He doesn't have to destroy it. If he perverts it, it'll destroy itself. Go back to the Garden of Eden. We see in Genesis a perfect, wonderful place that God created for mankind. And Satan comes along and tempts Eve, and Eve says, you know, God says we can't do this. And Satan says, yea, hath God said. You know, Satan did not deny everything that, that God said. All he did was pervert it. And as soon as he perverted it, it destroyed itself. Now, folks, that's what the capability of sin is. We see Eden. Eden was a perfect place, and yet it was perverted. All Satan has to do is is sneak in the back door, and once he infiltrates that, he brings the whole thing down simply because he perverted just a part of it. That's the way truth is. I think I've told you this story before, but it's a great one. There was a man who had a uh, a watermelon patch, and uh, young men kept coming out stealing his watermelons, And so he put a sign out there that says, one of these watermelons is poisonous. The boys came along that night, and they saw the sign that was out there, and they says, oh, my goodness, one of these watermelons, how do we know which one it is? So they just said, we're going to stay away from the whole patch, because if one's poisonous, it might as well all be poisonous. So the boys decided to get back at the old man. They put another sign up that said, two of these watermelons are poisonous. So now the old man didn't know which ones were good, and so you had to do away with the whole thing. That's the way Satan works. He just wants to pervert a little bit of it. That way, all of it goes down the tubes. And you see, that's what's happening to our homes. That's what happens in our churches. It infiltrates our churches. It infiltrates our young people. Just a little bit here, and the whole vine gets spoiled because we did not contend for the faith. And now we see the full capability of sin. Folks, I'll tell you, we all, me included, underestimate the power of sin. We underestimate it. We have no idea what sin is truly capable of. That's why we've got to do what he said here, contend for the faith. Now, what's interesting is we read that passage. The Bible shows us what he was doing in verse 4. The Bible says he was turning the grace of our God unto lasciviousness. This is an amazing, amazing thing I want you to see. What was happening was folks were coming along and they were saying, we're under grace now. And thank God we're under grace And so since, therefore, we're under grace, we have license to go and to do what we want because once saved, always saved, we're living under the grace of God. We can do what we want. That's what lasciviousness is all about. It's excess of lust. I can go and do what I want. I can live lasciviously. That's how you say that. Why? I'm under grace. But that's perverting the grace of God. What's amazing is that truth is alive and well. In 2022, it's called the hyper-grace movement. It's still alive today that because I'm under grace, I'm automatically holy before God. Therefore, I can live the way I want to live because I'm under grace. And yet, wait a minute, when you study your Bible, you'll find out that God's standard is actually higher under grace than it was under the law. What did the law say? Well, the law said if you lie with a woman that's not your wife, you're committing adultery with her. That was under the law. But under grace, he says, that if a man looks upon a woman to lust on her, he's committed adultery in his heart. The standard of grace is higher than the standard of the law. Grace does not give us liberty to sin and go and do as we will. The Bible says that that Old Testament, that law, 
that when we would walk with that Roman soldier, we'd walk for a mile, and that was what we had to do, and yet under grace, his children are to walk too. That's doubling the figure. You see, the standard of grace is higher than the standard of the law. Therefore, they were perverting that. I'll be honest with you, it's a lot easier to preach a grace that lets you do what you want. I'd love to do that. I wouldn't have half the people mad at me. Phone calls, text messages, emails. Now, folks, look, if I preach about LSU, get mad at me, okay? That's opinion. Sometimes it's a bad opinion. But when it's truth, it's truth. It's truth, it's truth. If there's something we ought to contend for, we ought to contend for the faith. Why? Because the capability of sin, what does it do? It perverts, it turns the grace of God into lasciviousness. The Bible says, and denying the only Lord God, our Lord Jesus Christ. It's for this reason, 2 Corinthians 6. The Bible says, verse 17, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate. And it says, and touch not the unclean thing. Hey, that's New Testament. That's New Testament. Do you know why we come out and we be separate and we don't touch? Why? Because sin and the capability of sin is going to pervert all that's good and all that's holy. So number one, we see our responsibility to our faith. Number two, we see the capability of sin. And then I want you to look down. The Bible says, verse 4 or verse 5, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterward, destroyed them that believed not. So verse 5, he's reminding them of something. Verse 6, and the angels which kept not the first estate, but left their own habitation, he that reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them, in like manner giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Now, what is he doing here? He's reminding them of the accountability toward God. Why is he doing that? Watch what he says. He says, you've got to contend. Why? Because of the capability of sin in verse 4. And in case you need reminders in verse 5, 6, and 7, he shows you why you ought to do that, and that is number 3 tonight. Notice our accountability to God. There's an accountability coming. Now, remember, if this was a suggestion tonight and God was saying, look, I want you to try to contend for the faith, suggestions do not necessarily come with repercussions, you know? Somebody says, hey, would you mind or could you or could you check it? Maybe I could do that. But if it's a command, it comes with accountability. So watch closely tonight. Ezekiel chapter number 3. I want you to turn with me real quick. I'm going to show you this and uh, we'll wrap it up. uh, Ezekiel chapter number 3. Look down to verse number 18. I want to show you what this accountability looks like. The Bible says, when I say unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die... And thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, Ezekiel 3.18. The Bible says, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thy hand. Notice what it said. When I say unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die, and givest him not, thou givest him not warning. We have to be the ones who raise our voice and speak up because the Bible says there's an accountability coming. Notice it says, but his blood will I require at thy hand. You see, God's not going to hold us guiltless for not contending for the faith. 
God says, if you don't speak up the times I told you to speak up and speak out for what I told you to speak out on, when, when trouble comes and they are swallowed in their iniquity, and by the way, that describes our country. Our country is being swallowed up all in iniquity tonight. And the people of God, listen, we're too busy arguing about the darkness to realize we're the ones who are supposed to be the light. Good grief. Look how bad things are getting down here and this part of town and that part of town. Hey, I get it tonight, but the reason it's dark as it is is because we're not being the light that we're called to be. God says, I'm holding you accountable to contend, to stand up for the faith, to guard it, and to contend and defend for it. Folks, tonight there's an accountability coming that I don't think we have any clue of what it's going to be like. I think we think about it and we think, well, that's going to be scary. But you know when we stand before God, we are going to be thinking 100% spiritual. Think about that. You're not going to have this pulling back at you anymore. You're going to be thinking so clear. And the regret's going to have to be horrific. Because, you know, in this stuff, I have a way of talking myself out of guilt, don't you? I have a way of excusing myself out of responsibility and accountability. And sometimes I can do it so good, I deceive my own self. That's possible. Yeah, we stand before God, we're going to be spiritual. We're going to think clearly. And I believe the accountability that's going to rest on our shoulders far exceeds any imagination we have in this life. Here in 2022, you know, we don't have walls to sit up on. We don't sit up there with a trumpet and we blow the trumpet. Boy, you folks better be careful. No, but we are called to be salt. We're called to be light. You see, that's what God's going to hold us accountable, accountable for. Salt and light, you know what they are? They're both influences. You think about tonight, I'll give you this, and we're done the parable of the talents, when he came and gave them those talents, you know what those talents were? Those talents were opportunity that he gave to them. But then he gave them a command to go and to trade them. That was their responsibility. And then when he came back, you know what that was? That was their accountability. Now, all of us have been given something. At the very least, you've been given a voice. And God says, I want you to contend for the faith. Something I tell the teenage boys a lot, we'll be sitting talking about things, about the world we're living in, and I'll tell them, rise up. Sooner or later, somebody's got to rise up. Somebody's got to speak up. Somebody's got to go plug the holes. Remember the gap? I sought for a man among them to stand in the gap. What was he doing? For the land? He found none. Hey, somebody's got to rise up knowing that one day there's going to be an accountability where God holds us accountable for whether or not we contended for our faith. So tonight, faith's done a lot for me. It was through faith that I was saved. It was through faith my family was saved. It was through faith that I've seen God work in my life. It was through faith we've seen God work at our church. All these things we have seen from our faith. Tonight, the question is simply this. What are you doing for your faith? Are you contending for the faith? Number one, you have a responsibility. You have a responsibility for your faith. It's done a lot for you. Why don't you do something for it? Why don't you speak up about your faith? But then understand the capability of sin. If we don't, sin comes in and it perverts all that's good and all that's holy. And if we allow that to happen, God will hold us accountable. So tonight with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, no one's looking around, I wonder, are you doing all for your faith that you could? Are you doing all for your faith? You say, well, you know what? Uh, I'm trusting in my faith for. No, no, no. What are you doing for your faith, not waiting for what your faith does for you? Tonight is time for Central Baptist Church to contend. It's time for you to contend for your home. 
Young person, it's time for you to contend for your own heart. Step up. Contend for the faith. Because you don't want to see the capability of sin, and you don't want to stand before God and be accountable for what you didn't do. Heavenly Father, I'm thankful tonight for your word, and thank you, Father, for how you challenge us to stand up, to contend, to fight, to defend the faith that, Lord, we've been given. Lord, it's done so much for us, and now it's time for us to do something for it. Lord, I pray that our focus here in the last days that we're living in will be days where we focus on contending for the faith. There's so many things out there we could be against. Help us be for the things that matter. Lord, help us to stand in the gap. Lord, help us preserve what is pure and what is holy for our children. Lord, help us to stand up, to speak up when need be. Help us to rise up, Lord, to stand in that gap uh, for our land who desperately needs it tonight. Lord, I thank you for what you're going to do through our people in Jesus' name.